you have to forgive my voice. Um, I'm slowly getting over a sinus infection and my uh, throat and voice are always the first thing to get, uh, not only to get affected, but then to recover. So uh, if I cough a little, you'll have to overlook it and uh, I apologize beforehand. All right, so what I want to do tonight uh, for this for this class, as you can see by the uh, title on the screen, of course, we've been looking in Romans chapters five through eight and all around those chapters for some time now. Uh, I think we're 45, 46 deep into those studies. But there is a particular particular thing that I've been doing lately and I've been very interested in going back to some of the, and I've shared some of that in previous classes with you, um, uh, not very far from this one, uh, you know, two or three back or whatever. I've been sharing some of these, but I've been looking at the parables that Jesus uh, gave, uh, things that uh, Jesus did during specific times, his audience, we focused on those things, and I've been very interested in looking at that. And one of the, one of the interest, interesting things to me has been to discover uh, a great deal of just the beauty of the things that Jesus says. Uh, honestly, you know, to confess here to you, the parables of Jesus, although I've looked at them, studied them, they've not really given me much. Um, you know, I haven't seen much in them and uh, recognize the, just the weight that is expressed in them. And so now I'm re-examining them and looking at them, you know, little by little here and there. In fact, I was, the what I want to talk about today starts us in Matthew chapter 20. We'll start a little in Matthew 19, but you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to look at a parable concerning the kingdom of heaven and the way Jesus describes this. Um, in fact, I was um, talking to uh, John Cassera a few, I don't know, a couple of two or three months ago about this. And, and we were talking and he had brought these things up. And this has been longer than that, I'm sure, maybe even a year ago when he brought this up. Um, and we were talking about that, that the thing that we were looking at was this story of the one who goes out and hires laborers to work in the vineyard. The thing that we were talking about was how everyone, no matter who they were, when they came in, got the same thing. They got the same amount. They had the same pay at the end of the day. It never occurred to me just how weighty that statement is, how weighty this really is until recently when I began to look at it again. So I want to share that with you. We're going to cover chapter 20 of Matthew, but I think to understand what we're <laughs> looking at, and if you'll Recall, we were actually in, actually we were in Luke, but we referred back to chapter 19 of Matthew uh, talking concerning the, you know, the, ch the, the children being brought to Jesus and uh, the rich young ruler. And part of chapter 19, verse 26, speaks of this when Peter um, and the others see this young ruler walk away sad because of the things that Jesus says to them. And you can refer back to that lesson and look at the reason. But Jesus beheld them. This is Matthew 19, verse 26. We'll jump right into this, and this will bring us up to Matthew 20. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is, impo this is impossible, with, but with God all things are possible. 
And then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all. We have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now, this is a big part of what we're going to look at in chapter 20. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, you which have followed me in the regeneration. Now, the regeneration is speaking concerning new birth. It's speaking of that regeneration, the reconciliation, the atonement, to follow the Lamb into this new reality that He was going to bring about by the cross. Those who follow Him into this new creation into this greater kingdom that he is about to bring he says you who have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man shall sit in the throne of his glory ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now this sets a very good framework for where we're going in the next chapter and how we're going to conclude this chapter. And it, it's very important to see these, 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 the way he sets these things up. Um, because look at what he's saying to these people who are his followers, his disciples, desiring to know from him what are they going to receive. Because they have forsaken everything to follow him. Uh, now, he sets this up and says, You will sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, unfortunately, some people have taken that literally and believed it to be a prophecy concerning how we, as people, will actually be able to sit on thrones and be judges and be kings over regions and areas and blah, blah, blah. And that is such a ridiculous concept. What he's actually doing is the same thing that he said concerning the Queen of Sheba who would judge that wicked generation uh, because as the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and saw his glory, so that same reality, but greater so, because the greater than Solomon has come, that greater reality has come unto them and they rejected the one who is greater than Solomon when the Queen of Sheba came to see that one and received such a revelation of his wisdom and greatness um, they refused it and he said the queen of Sheba will rise up and judge this generation and, and he says that in other ways as well um, so he's setting the framework not so he could say you're going to be exalted on thrones He's telling them, when you follow me into this kingdom that I am, and this is going to be important because he's about to give a parable concerning the kingdom of heaven. When you follow me by regeneration, by new birth, into this kingdom that I am ushering in by, by my very being and my very presence, my reign, my dominion, you follow me into that by new birth, you're going to be the one sitting upon 12 thrones, which is a figurative statement, meaning you're going to sit as those who have received the kingdom by faith that they were intended to receive by promise. They were intended by promise, by right, by covenant, because it was theirs went first. He says it was to the Jews first. This is all important because what he's about to say at the end of chapter 9, and he'll say it at the, at the end of this parable in chapter 20. You will sit upon 12 thrones. You will be the recipients of a kingdom that they were promised, that they were actually first promised to be the recipients of. You will be the partakers of it. And just by partaking of that kingdom, partaking of that salvation by faith, you will be a judgment to them as possessors of the things that they have refused because they have refused me. That's what he's talking about here. You will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone that has forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting or eternal life. This is the reality. You are going to receive the fullness 
of life eternal. Here's verse uh, 30. Many that are first shall be last. The last shall be first. Setting the framework for this parable that we're going to look at. What is this talking about, however, to set the stage? Same thing here. You're going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now he brings it down. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. What does that mean? Again, referring back to what Jesus says, this was to the Jew first. It was theirs first. Romans 9 will go into this, how it was theirs first by covenant. It was given to them, the covenants, the glory, the, the fathers, the, the prophets. It was all theirs first. It, they are the ones to whom it pertained first, primarily. And they refused it, most refused it. Uh, but the first, listen to this now, because again, this is leading up to where we're going. The first will be last, meaning the ones that receive by faith, the thing that these people will not receive by faith. If you go back to what we're talking about, he is dealing with people who are trying to earn it. The rich young ruler, what he just got through uh, dealing with the rich young ruler and how this all sparks. Trying to earn it by law. I've done all the law said. Well, here's what's lacking. What you gain, what is gain, what is your wealth, what is your value. You have to set that aside, give it away, follow me. What? In the regeneration. Follow me. Receive from me the thing you're trying to receive by the law and by the works of the law. Um, those to whom it was first promised, to whom it pertained first, will receive it Last, those who came in last, those who were the last to actually hear and who openly and truly received it by faith and did not attempt to receive it by works will be the first to receive it, although they be the last to be invited to it. They shall be first, but those who were first invited shall be the last to receive it. And it's not setting one group against another. Basically, if you can understand it through the mindset of the Jew, yes, there was great consternation with it. You understand it in the context of how it's meant. What we're seeing is there is equality to the whole of the thing. One is not greater than the other, and one does not get a... Uh, uh, um, a greater standing before God than the other. One does not get uh, what is preferential treatment regarding when they came in, if they were the first to come in or the last to come in. The whole stage that's being set is the contrast between the Jews to whom he came to confirm the covenant and the Gentiles who will come in by faith. Those who will receive by faith the kingdom, the, the promises, and all the things, the righteousness of God, all the things that the Jews who it first pertained to are tempting to find by the works of the law. So this is very important, and it shows again the equality of all, regardless of Jew or Gentile, who will receive these things from the very hand of God by faith and not works. So based upon that premise, that framework, now we get into Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed, now listen to these words. There's, there's very important wordings and, and, and words that are used that we cannot just overlook and read over. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he then sent them into the vineyard. Here's the thing we have to understand. There was an agreement at the beginning of the day. Look at what happened. First of all, he went out early in the morning. Let me read the rest of this verse just to set up some context. Again, verse, we're going to read through verse 5 and then we'll, we'll carry it on as we go. 
When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, I will give you. Now, he, now notice here, it doesn't say, and they agreed upon a wage for the day. No. What he says to these people is whatever is right, just, whatever is fair, I will give this to you. And they went their way. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, two different times, sixth hour and the ninth hour, and he did likewise. Now, again, that's, that's the picture of what we're looking at. Now, let's consider this for a moment and remember the framework that's set up here in chapter 19 regarding the Jew and the Gentile contrast. Early in the day, and that would have been according to the times that, that we are looking at as far as uh, the, the, the times of the day that are addressed here. Early in the day would have been 6 a.m. At 6 a.m. he hired the first laborers. He goes out. Now notice this. He goes out early in the dawning hours of a day. He went to look for laborers. He went to look for workers to work for him in his vineyard. Keep this in mind. There's so many things. He went out and found them. They didn't come to him looking for a job. They didn't come to him seeking to be employed. He went out early to hire laborers. He went out looking for laborers. He went out and sought for those who would work in the vineyard. It's, 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 it was, it's not about them searching him out. It was about him searching them out to, to find laborers, okay? But at 6 a.m. in the day, he hires the first of the laborers. And with those laborers, and actually before they begin to work at all, before he actually sends them, deploys them out into the field to do any labor at all, to do any work, he agrees upon a wage with them. And that is a penny for a day's labor. Now, that sounds like a very small amount to us, but actually during that time, that was a fair uh, wage for a day's work. So the, he's not shortchanging them or anything. A penny a day was actually a fair uh, wage for a day's labor. So this is very important. The second verse here, when he had agreed, he had agreed with them for a specific amount, a penny a day, and this <coughs> agreement happens before any labor is done, when he brings in the first laborers, there is a wage, an amount, a full recompense decided upon before any labor in the vineyard is actually taking place. Okay, so the master who hires them all who hires these people and all the subsequent workers that he will hire had a four time decided upon or agreed upon the amount of their ultimate wage at the end of the day. When this day came to its conclusion, there was a promise you're going to receive an award, a reward for your labor. You're going to receive a reward that is already previously a four time determined. That's this is so beautiful. I hope I hope you can understand where I'm going. He had a four time beforehand previous to any labor being done agreed upon the amount of their ultimate wage. You got to keep this verse in mind too. Remember Verse 
Romans chapter 9, because this does, this, this story, this uh, parable is spoken of right here. Not in words, not in actual saying this is what, you know, this was about. But look at this as saying the same thing. Romans chapter 9, verse 22 through 24. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering? the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Who's he talking about? Well, ultimately all men, right? And that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And that's going to be important as we go through this timeline of the man hiring his laborers. Not only of the Jew, but of the Gentiles only. But he is now going to show his mercy upon vessels that were firstly had wrath upon them. They were vessels fitted to destruction. But he wanted to make known the riches of his mercy, make known the riches of his glory. And, and look at this, which he had afore prepared unto glory. What does that mean? There was an afore determined, a predestined conclusion to this that he was working all things toward. And it was this, this wage, the final pay. The reward that was to come at the end of the day. And it was to come unto all of us whom he has called. Not just you, but Gentiles. And here we see the mercy of God. A prepared, previously determined. The pay, the wage was agreed upon before any work was done. It says that they agreed upon the wage and then they went into the vineyard to labor. You, you notice what was not the determining basis for the wage and how much it would be? Their labor. How well they did it. If they did it up to the up to snuff, if they did it up to the specific desire of the man who hired them, the labor did not determine their wage. The wage was previously determined before any labor was done, so the labor could not be the determining factor of the wage and how much they were worth, how much their labor was worth to God, how much they would receive. No labor was labor and the de- and you're going to see the, the, not only the, the, uh, the perfection of their labor, not only that, but the length of their labor, the time that they labored didn't determine anything either. And that was such a beautiful picture, but it was also a point of anger for these people. This is going to show us so much as we get into the rest of these verses. Notice what he does to the last hour today. He's already hired people at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, and I'm just writing numbers like we would do it, 3 p.m. He hires more laborers throughout the day. People are coming in. Boom, boom, boom. They were hired first. Now, a little later in the day and a little later in the morning, more being hired. What does he say to these people? He says, whatever is right, I'll give it to you. Whatever is right, I will give you. Now look now, they, none, these people did not start at 6 a.m., some started at 9 a.m., some at 12, some at 3. And he tells them whatever is right, just, fair, I will give it to you. Now, you could only imagine, like we would, that these people who were hired, these laborers who were hired at these distinct different times of the day, when they came in, 
when he says, I will give you whatever is right for your uh, acceptance of this hire. I'm going to give this to you, whatever is just and fair. Their, their thoughts, especially these, but their thought would have been, okay, I was hired at this time during the day. So I'm going to have to say, because I was hired at this moment of the day, I can't be worthy of or qualify for the wage that this person got at the beginning of the day. I can't be worthy of that because I haven't put in the share of work that they have. That's just the natural way of thinking. That's the natural way of perceiving this. And of course, that is, that's a correct assumption in the natural. But he's speaking about the reality of the kingdom of heaven, not the reality of laboring on a workforce in the natural world. He's speaking to them concerning the, what we just read in chapter 9. The, the wish of this one, this God, this man who has hired laborers throughout the day, to work in his vineyard to display the riches of his glory and have mercy upon these vessels, these laborers. And you will see these people's labor and how well they did it, that had nothing to do with their wage. The wage was predetermined. These people would assume their time of day being hired would would actually have something to do and influence the wage that they would get at the end of the day. Matthew 20, verse 6, about the 11th hour. Now, what's the 11th hour of the day? Five. The Jewish times went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That was their day. So the 12th hour would be 6 p.m. That's the end of their work day. That's the end of the day. At the 11th hour would have been 5 p.m. in the day. He went out and he found, that's a great word, he found others standing idle. That word idle there is not just a bunch of lazy people that didn't want to work. Idle actually, if you look up it in the Greek, it can mean fruit, fruitless. Not bearing fruit. Even the word barren is, is in some of the word studies. Fruitless, barren. If we go back in the study we've been looking at in Romans chapter 7, remember when they were, when you were married to the first man, you produced fruit unto death. Basically, in the sight of God who looked for good fruit, you were barren and you were fruitless. But he comes to find them standing idle. And he says to them, why do you stand here all day idle? And they said unto him, no man has hired us. And he said unto them, go ye also into the vineyard. And whatever, whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. Again, notice this for a moment. We're at the very last hour of the day, and he hires these people to work in his vineyard. And he tells these people hired at the last hour, they've got 60 minutes to do any work at all. And he tells them as well, whatsoever is right, I will give it to you. The word right here, and if you look it up, it actually means what is just, what is fair. And to look at this and, uh, you know, just analyze this to some degree, you would think, but he doesn't. You, you would think that he would throughout this day based upon the time frame. And we've already talked about what the laborers being hired would think. But you would think as a smart businessman, as a smart landowner and householder who has a vineyard hiring laborers, that you would be smart enough to renegotiate the wage throughout the day. Seeing that you're only going to work this amount, you know, I'll, I'll give you this. Now, he tells them whatever's right. And you would think in his mind, whatever's right would be on par with what they were considering was right or just or fair, considering the time of the day. But he didn't negotiate or renegotiate or adjust or even reconsider the wage that he had already previously determined a four-time settled upon. He didn't do that. 
even those who were hired at the last hour of the day. That is so significant. The wage, the pay that was to come at the end of the days of labor, the end of the time of labor, was never second-guessed, was never lessened. That wage was always the same, never changed. The pay never changed. And look, the labor, the amount of labor, the hours of the day that the labor was done, or even how great the labor was or which labor was better than the other, none of that had any bearing upon the penny that was to be given at the end of the day. That goes against every conceivable understanding of what is just and fair. The amount of labor, the length of time was never a measurement. God had, or the man, the labor, the, the, high, the one doing the hiring of the laborers had already determined the wage before anything was done. And how beautiful we could say this is, but it will be looked at very differently from these who came first. Those who were first hired by this man. Um, I have here Romans chapter 9, verse 16. And this has to do with the fact, again, that no person's labor, because you, you do not see any indication in this parable where this man who hires these laborers goes throughout the fields and the vineyard and begins to inspect their work or inspect how well they are doing, inspect their progress during the day so that he can assess them in any way. That wasn't it. And Romans 9.16 beautifully states, So it is not of him that willeth, or him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. This whole thing is a show of mercy so that he could display the riches of his grace, the riches of his mercy upon these vessels who, could, who were standing around fruitless and barren until he found them and hired them to come and labor in his vineyard. So we continue to read because what we are what we've seen here these people hired at the last moment of the day. I'm sure these people too, but these are the ones he spe they specifically have a big issue with. Right at the end of the day, here comes these latecomers, these Johnny come latelys. To get a wage. It's going to be an issue for those who were hired first because they held to the thought. They had already, their wage was already set. And they held to the thought that fair and just was contingent upon the extent of labor. You'll see that. That's important because of who we're actually addressing here. This isn't just about, uh, you know, commercial workers. This is, again, back to chapter 19 of Matthew. This is about this distinction between those who are first and those who are last, and the last being first and the first being last. There being an equality as far as God's view as concerning His bestowal of everlasting life, His bestowal of the wage at the end of that day. This is what's being contrasted because basically I could just say it, the Jew, we're seeing the Jews being brought in here, these first, the ones that were laboring for God, the workers in the vineyard, blah, blah, all of that. And then at the very end of the day, here you have these people called Gentiles, these people that these folk would say, why are they here? What, what, this doesn't even make sense for them to be here. And there's Jesus and the apostles and uh, the disciples, all of them saying they are worthy of the same thing. Paul, throughout his ministry, fights this very th same uh, scenario. The Judaizers come in. Why? Because they cannot believe that these people 
do not have to do anything extra to labor any extra to receive the same reward that the Jew who has believed in Christ is to receive. There's no way. Makes no sense. But it is the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Labor was not the determining factor. The wage being predetermined was the determining factor. Only one wage was agreed upon before anyone was actually hired or anyone could prove their worth of the wage. And see, this is a good place. If you haven't listened to the podcast I've done before or even the lesson I did here before, speaking of God's satisfaction being the basis, the eternal basis out from which we receive salvation. That our salvation, the eternal basis, what we have in our soul presently, the eternal basis of that is contingent upon a God who has and is satisfied, who has settled upon a, a one eternal reality that pleases him fully and gives him everything that he has ever been after, that gives him full Delight and gives him his intention accomplished. Then, out from the riches and abundance of that, he is able to bestow to us this great gift of salvation. Otherwise, we're going to believe that God gives us salvation so that eventually, through process of elimination and acquisition, we will finally be able, through our obedience, through our lifestyle, through our doing and not doing, we will be able to finally please God enough that he gets out from us, through us, by us, what he's actually ultimately after. I'm telling Telling you, we better pray and be thankful to God that what we receive in salvation by new birth has already been settled upon and is the very reality that gives God his ultimate end, his ultimate aim, his ultimate goal, his intention accomplished, and his pleasure realized. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Well, those of us who put his expectation upon the believer and believe that God's hope rests solely upon the ability of the believer to carry out his intent and his will and give him his pleasure, ultimately put God's expectation upon the wrong object. And it condemns believers in every step of the way. God expects nothing beyond the son in whom he is well pleased. It is his great love toward us that he has bestowed the great gift of his beloved son to our soul that we may share in the beautiful reality of grace and share in the abundant riches of his mercy. Not contingent upon the moment, the, the time frame we've been laboring or how well we have labored. Oh, what is my responsibility? To know Him. See, we think that shucks and throws away our responsibility as believers. Your responsibility as a believer was to believe upon the one that God has sent. How do we do the works of God? Believe upon the one God has sent, and that belief has to do with a belief into salvation, a belief to, to come into this kingdom of the dear son and to be brought into subjection to the reign of that dear son. And that happens the moment, but you grow in understanding. We grow in this grace. We grow in an acknowledgement of this grace that has been bestowed fully at the onset. And we grow and we walk in accordance to the reality that we are comprehending. But God at the very onset of the journey comprehended us fully in the reality that he has bestowed. He doesn't comprehend us progressively as we grow. We grow in the comprehension progressively of the way in which God has known us from the beginning. 
So now let's see the giving of the wage and the backlash or the reaction to it. This is essential to see because again, we're looking at not just a, a, a story, we're looking at this whole reality of a transition between one age to another age. We're looking at an age coming to its conclusion and those who are coming in at the end of this age are looked upon as why are they here and they have no part of this. So when the evening was come, that's the, not five, now six has come. Six p.m. comes. And the wage, the penny, the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law, to bring salvation to all who would believe. To be the recompense, to be the promised wage, to be the reward that was coming. I'm coming and my reward is with me. Why? Because I'm the reward that's coming. So when that time of the time of the end of the day where the wage that was promised was actually now to be distributed to the laborers, the Lord of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire. Give them what was promised to them. Now remember, there was only one group here that he made a promise to and said, at the end of the day, you're going to receive a penny for your labor. Everybody else who were not really, think about it, they were not in on this. They weren't privy to this predetermined wage. What they were told was whatever is right, whatever is just and fair, I will give that to you. Again, look at the times of the day they were hired and what they would assume would be their fair share of the wage. Because they knew, penny, that's a day's wage normally. What am I worthy of? Here's the thing. Are you worthy? Are you worthy? And that's still the mindset of Christians today. This shows us labor had nothing to do with determining this. It was a predetermination. It was a foreordained. Call the laborers, give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now, so... <coughs> The penny, the wage, they still not knowing what they would receive. Here's these people now, those who come in at the very last hour of the day, starting at these last to be hired. He brings them in first and said, they're going to get the wage first. They're going to get the pay first. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. They're going to get paid first. They're going to get the reward for the labor the reward that I had previously, before anybody was actually put on and labored, before that I was, I'd already agreed upon, they're going to get it first. Although they were the last to be hired. Now, again, what do you think they expect for one day, one hour's work? See, that's why it was so easy for the Judaizers to come in to many of the Gentile churches that Paul set up to many of those churches and be able to disrupt their faith. To be able to disrupt them and say, that's not enough. You got to add this. You've got to also be circumcised. You have to also eat certain things. Don't eat certain things. You have to asceticisms. You got to beat your body. You got to do these things. You got to holy days and festivals. I mean, they, there's requirements. You've got to put in the work like we did. And it was so easy to disrupt them because they also had an assumption, had a belief, had a, a mindset based upon the amount of their labor was the thing upon which the wage was contingent. Their worth to the one who hired them was contingent upon the amount of labor and the, the quality of labor. So, when the Judaizers come to them and say, that's the truth, you're going to add this, 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 and this to Jesus, they added this, this, or were at least swayed to begin or swayed to go that direction. And Paul was writing letters to say, uh-uh, this, he's enough. You have received the just 
fair reward. Which is what? The thing promised before. In this age of testimony, the thing that was promised before time, the thing that was hidden, the wage that was hidden under testimony, you have received it fully by faith. You don't have to add anything to this. There's nothing to be added to the fullness of Him. You have received His fullness. Christ in you is the hope for glory. Remember, the, uh, read it again, verse not, uh, 24, 23, I'm sorry, of chapter 9 of Romans. He might make known the riches of his glories on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. That is Christ in you, the glory. That was afore prepared and afore promised. They had received it. So, again, with labor and the amount of labor and the quality of labor being the determining factor as far as they were concerned, they were still saying, can't be this easy. There's no way. And that's why Paul would have to say, after giving his own personal experience of it being not I but Christ who liveth in me, and any exertion of labor beyond that is a frustration of the grace of God that has been bestowed, he has to rebuke them and says, fools of Galatia, you have been bewitched here. Tell me this. Have you received this wage, this end of the matter, by faith or by works? How can you bring further perfection to what is already perfect in the Spirit? This is a picture of what you're seeing here. These who came in at the end of the age of testimony, the conclusion of the times of the testimony by faith, who came and received the wage at the end of the day and received it first, although they were last to come in. They received it by faith. So, he, gave, he began from the last and the first. Now, Matthew 20, verse 9, and when they came... When they came that were hired about the 11th hour, what did they receive? They received every man a penny. Wow, wait a minute. Wasn't that what these people were promised? Weren't they promised 6 a.m. folk that put in a whole 12-hour day? Weren't they also promised a penny? Well, he must adjust this thing and say, okay, I'm going to give these a penny. I'm going to give them five or six pennies. Nope. Those who did an hour of labor got the same penny those who did 12-hour labor. Fair? Because he told these people, whatever is just, whatever is right. You know what the word just or whatever is right? It's the word righteous. Or righteousness. Whatever is according to righteousness, I'll give it to you. Why? Because I only have one thing to give. I only have one wage. I'm not going to split him in pieces and parts and piecemeals. There's only one wage. There's only one promised wage at the end of this day. And it's him. And it didn't matter when they came. It just mattered that they received the invitation to the vineyard. They received the hire from the man who come and found them. That they were willing to be hired and brought into this vineyard regardless of the time of the day. So they received a penny too. The ones at the 11th hour, they received a penny. And what do you think these men, understanding the time of day that they were hired, actually anticipated that their pay would be? The right amount due was established beforehand. The righteous reward was established, determined before any labor was done. So no man could actually boast that they were worthy because of their labor, their amount of it or their quality of labor. They could not boast. Because at the end of the day, the wage was not determined by any of that. It was determined by the predetermined grace and mercy of God. It wasn't man's worth. 
It was the goodness and grace of a God who was willing to give to all men the one reward that he had afore promised. Now verse 10. When the first came, those who were hired first, 6 a.m. folk, they supposed, listen to that word, they assumed that they should receive more. Why? He had already told you what you were going to get. Here's the anger you see throughout the letters of Paul. Here's the anger you see throughout the time of Jesus' ministry on earth when they see that there's a possibility that these Jews are going to get this too, that they are also called to be fellow, fellow joint heirs with this, fellow citizens of this kingdom, of this country. They assumed, however, that they should have received more than this penny that God had already promised. And they likewise, just like everyone else, likewise, the same across the board, received every man a penny. And when they received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour work, one hour labor, and you've made them equal to us. There was the anger throughout what we see these these spats and anger and, and the disposition of the Jew toward the Gentile. There it is. Wait a minute. They came in the last of this time frame, the last of this day of labor, and they hadn't labored at all. They hadn't worked at all. They hadn't worked long enough. They hadn't proved their worth. They haven't proved that they are worthy of this wage, and you're going to give them the same thing that you give us? Now read Romans 9 in light of this, in 10 and 11. You're going to give them the same thing? You're making them equal to us? Which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. We have done these labors and worked all day in the heat, and we have labored long for you. And it is these very people that Jesus comes to throughout his ministry and he calls them to himself and says, all you who labor, heavy laden, in the heat of the moment of time that you're in, in this day of labor and stress to try to please a God that you don't think can ever be pleased, come to me. I am his pleasure. I am the one he knows. I am the one who knows him. And I will give this rest, the rest that I am. I'll give this to you, soldiers. Take my yoke upon you. This is the whole story of that. This is also the story that you see played out. And you can disagree or not, but I believe it to be. If you look at the story in, in truth, it, it's, it's about this very same thing in the parable of the prodigal son. Here you have this one who's come in out of the pig pen. I think it's important. Pig, you know, not really kosher. Comes out from that and comes to the father. The father says, okay, I receive you and kill the fatted calf. And he clothes him with his own robe, with the robe and brings him into the house. And uh, my son who was dead is alive again. What does he say in Romans 9? What shall their reception into this kingdom be except life from the dead? Just like everyone else, just like the Gentile had to come. Life from the dead. Brought from death unto life. It's the same reality. It has to be done in this way. Or else it's not received. <clears throat> and what is the elder son? The one that's older, that's been there longer, and that's labored for the father a lot longer. He says, I have labored all these years for you. And you've never made merry for me. You've never made a feast for me. You've never thrown a party for me. And the Father says, everything that I've ever had, what I had predetermined to be, the only inheritance that would be, it was always yours. And basically, because you're the firstborn, you're the oldest, it was yours first. And you've made them equal 
to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. Now verse 13 of Matthew 20. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. (laughs) No good thing will he withhold. I have done you no wrong. There was a predetermined wage. There was a reality promised to you regardless of the time of day. You were hired. I had one reward, one thing I would give, and you agreed. And I've done you no wrong, I've given you that reward. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take what thine is and go your way. I will give unto these last, even as unto thee. I will give to these the same thing I gave to you. I will not change my mind because of your rebuke of me or your assumption that you deserve more. No one deserves this. That's why it's never the assessment of your time or the quality of your labor that's made this. It was predetermined. That's how, that's how vital to this thing we actually are. It didn't depend on the time of day, Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter because he never assessed the quality of their labor. It was just, hey, there's a wage at the end of the day. If you'll receive this higher, you can receive it. What a reality. It infuriates those who believe their worth is tied to their labor. Their worth in the sight of God is tied to how well they do it and how long they have done it. It's it's the same on both sides of the equation. And there's where you have assessment of self and judging between one another. This isn't isn't about it can't apply to how long have you been saved. No, it's about those who had the thing as a predetermined, predestined thing. God brought them in at the beginning. They labored and labored. Now here come these Gentiles into the thing. I mean, Peter fought the same thing. How can I call what is filthy clean? How can I touch it? How can I taste that? Eat that? I've cleaned them. Why are you calling what I have cleansed, what I have purified? Why have you called the thing that I have redeemed unclean? The assumption that you are worthy of more because you believe your labor qualifies you for more. I'm sorry. Not of works. That's the works of the Jew or the works of the Gentile or the works of you, beloved Christian, who believe your works gets you somewhere with God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What is he boasting in? His assumed worth in the sight of God and why he's worthy of more than another. Well, the fact is, there has only ever been promised and there is only given one wage at the end of that day. The end of the times, at the end of the age, the wage has been given. And those of us who have been born again have received the same wage as all. We have the same. There is no distinction between the amount owed. (laughs) I will give to the last the same as unto thee. is Is it not lawful for me to do what I will? with what belongs to me. See, at the end of the day, we have to understand that very simple and yet eternally significant point. It belongs to him. It's his ultimately and eternally. It didn't belong to me. I didn't deserve it. It doesn't come to me because I'm worthy of it. It is his to give. It is his to promise. It is him to distribute. It's his. Is it not lawful for me to do with what is mine, what I desire to do with it? Is it not lawful? You could say, is it not spelled out in the law? Is it not according to the law said that I will give what belongs to me and I will distribute it as I will? Is thine eye evil because I 
am good? Do you look poorly upon me? Do you disagree with me? Oh, look at that. Because I am good. See, this whole thing is a picture of just that simple, eternal reality. He is good. See, our assumptions of our worth in the sight of God based upon the amount or the quality of our assumed quality of labor flies in direct opposition to He is good. He is good because He has bestowed to all the same the same wage because the wage was determined before we came into the vineyard, into the kingdom. What a beautiful thing. So the last shall be first. Hear it again. Same thing. The last shall be first. And the first shall be last because many be called. Few are chosen. Many are called. They're called. They're invited to this vineyard. They're invited to take the hire, to receive the wage. But few will be chosen, meaning they will receive the call. There are few who will by faith receive the thing that they have been called to. Why? Because they assume they're worthy of something other or even something more. They think their labor qualifies them. And the only thing, according to all the scripture, that has qualified any is faith in the grace of God. It's grace by grace through faith. It is a wage bestowed not because of the quality or the amount of labor, but because of the goodness of the one who has hired us and called us, who were barren, standing idle. He's called us to receive a wage that we could not earn. And he knew it. That's why the labor was not the thing it was contingent upon. It was his goodness that bestowed it. Matthew Henry's commentaries says this, Gentiles Um, The Gentiles should be fellow heirs, nor is anything more provoking to the Jews than the intimation of it. Now, this seems to be the principal scope of the parable said here by Jesus, to show that the Jews should be first called into the vineyard, and many of them should come at the call. But at length the gospel should be preached to the Gentiles, and they should receive it and be admitted by faith to equal privileges." and advantages, and they should be fellow citizens with the saints. In Romans 9, I'll just read this and then I'll conclude. Romans 9, verse 1 through 5, I believe we see. I mean, you can go to Romans 3 and 30, the one justify the circumcision by faith and the, and the uncircumcision through faith. But here in Romans 9, 1 through 5, we see, I think we see the wage that was promised, the wage that was offered, and it was offered to them first. That's what Paul says here. I lie not, my conscience bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness, continual sorrow in my heart, for I would wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises, whose are the fathers and whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Here was the agreed to wage all things promise. Everything it stood for, but it had to be received by faith. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Basically is the same thing as saying, No matter the timing, no matter the quality of labor, the amount, the time of labor, the time frame in which you labor, the pay is equal. The last shall receive what the first were promised, and the first who come and receive will receive what the last have received. This is beautiful. So, it's just a parable that I've been looking at and and so... 
so just a beautiful description and depiction of the, the, the goodness, the mercy, the grace that was promised to all. Regardless of the Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter when they came in, and that's the picture here, the goodness of God was intended for all. They didn't have to qualify, they didn't have to prove their worth because the wage was predetermined before their worth could ever be proved. This should speak to us today. Those of us who are in Christ, you do not prove your worth. You never could. The wage you have received was the reward for the end of the day has come. And we now rejoice as those who are partakers of the riches, the wealth, the bestowal out from the bountiful storehouse of this man who has hired and called and bid us, who are idle and barren, to come. May we consider these things and thank God for His amazing grace and thank Him that He is good. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for your attention. Amen.